Thanks for coming to the meeting and thanks for the invite for being the speaker tonight. And I hope that there'll be help from heaven and blessing for all from the message that I want to leave with you. So we will read a few verses from God's word, Matthew chapter 7, for a start off. Matthew's gospel, chapter 7. And... Uh, The chapters here, 5, 6, and 7, the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount. And uh, very interesting it is, all these chapters. Verse 24, Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken them unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. The same happened, the same storm came, but it had no foundation, and great was the fall of it, the end of verse 27. If you look over Tildic on chapter 14, uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. Just a few wee verses here that might help us to preach the Gospel. And uh, uh, I want to come in just at the end. For which of you, verse 28, chapter 14 of Luke, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Acts of the Apostles, just for a wee verse, one verse in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, maybe two verses just for uh, the sense of the meaning. Verse 11, if I remember right, would help us to come into the context. Whenever the Lord Jesus was presented here in verse 10, then verse 11, this is a stone of reference to him, which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, uh, one last one. We'll refer to a few more, but uh, Ephesians, just for a wee verse here. And we're on to chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians. And uh, chapter 2 and verse 22 uh, verse 21 for connection, maybe verse, the last of verse 20 for connection, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom also ye are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. A reference to believers at a place called Ephesus, Jew and Gentile, experiencing salvation, and then this is the ongoing process of an experience with God. 
and what it entails and involves in relation to that experience. So we'll say no more just now at this moment of time about that. What I would like to do tonight, and I hope that God gives me the help to do it, I normally never go to preach the gospel. Normally, 99.9% of the time, without seeking God's mind and will and getting a fresh look at something from the Bible to help me in that meeting, which is the result of my considerations and meditations as a result of prayer for this little meeting tonight. Never preached on this before, and I'm happy about that because I believe that God would want me to preach it here tonight. Now, all my references tonight for the gospel meeting is a thought of building or what's being built. Quite recently, over in China, in respect to the uh, hospital that went up in two weeks, I think to cater for a thousand people with a thousand beds, something around that. And that was a remarkable building. I don't know how they did it because if they were trying to build something like that in Northern Ireland, uh, for the time they go through uh, the planning and so on, and by the time that they get the foundation in and everything else, and whenever it's uh, uh, looked upon by the authorities, inspected, they give them the go-ahead to continue in relation to the next step. So it's a long process. Even building a wee bungalow or a house. So China has it up. And uh, there's a building process that will be very acceptable to those that are hit by the virus. So I'm going to try and interest you in relation to some aspects of building from the Bible. And I did go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, because there's great teaching there, as I've intimated in the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, a wonderful teaching from the Savior. And it seems just as he comes to the concluding aspect of that experience with the people, he does say this, they that are privileged to hear these sayings of mine. I mean, he was a wonderful teacher and a wonderful preacher. Just to be sitting listening to the prince of all preachers, it would have been a, a wonderful experience. But he that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, doeth them, put us into practice, responds to them, to be blessed as a result of them. The sayings, the teaching was to enlighten, to illuminate, to instruct, to educate the people's minds in relation to what he was unfolding to them. He was looking for a response. And if there was a response, he said, I will liken them unto a wise man who built his house upon the rock. So, you know, I've made reference in relation to foundations already, just in the natural aspect of building. But it's the same in relation to the spiritual building, and that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is getting across to the people. 
I give you the teaching. It's for your blessing. If you heed it and respond to it, you'll be blessed by it. And I will liken you to a man, a wise man, who built his house upon a rock. So this man in the natural realm, we're learning something from it in relation to applying it in the spiritual realm. So the man, he has plans and he's going to build a house and he digs deep and he gets a good foundation. He's building on a rock, something stable, something strong, something sound, something sure. And then he says, whenever the storms come, with a wee storm at the minute, I thought it would have been worse. I would be glad I've never come at all. But nevertheless, this is the testing time for this man when the storm comes that the Saviour spoke about. And it just stood its ground. Storm blew over and the house was stable. Passed through the trial and the trouble that the storm caused. That's the same, you see, friend, when it comes to response on your part or on anybody else's part. When they hear the gospel, when they hear the word of Christ inviting sinners to come to him for the experience of salvation. When there is a response, just not listening to the message, hearing the message, but being troubled by the message sufficiently to cause me to go in a different direction, and that direction is towards God and towards Christ for the experience of salvation. And if you have that experience, you will be like the wise man that built his house upon the rock, and no matter what comes your way, my friend, you will be stable. For on Christ, the solid rock I stand, we sing, all other ground sinking sand and of course we just look at the other man the saviour said if you don't respond to these sayings of man you'll not be like the wise man you'll be like the foolish man he likely had the same type of plans to build the house likely nothing missing maybe the one is the same as the other man's everything else for fitting into place. But it wasn't built upon the rock. It hadn't support. It hadn't stability. There was no sure experiences for the builder that when the storms come, it would still be standing. Because the storms did come. And the house wasn't seen a short time after it. Built upon the sand. So, I would like to just ask the question tonight in relation to any and every time that you're ever privileged to hear the gospel. Uh, would you be someone exercising wisdom? The sayings of Christ recorded in the Bible that are often used and always used in relation to the preaching of the gospel. Have you a sound foundation? Are you building for the eternal future upon a rock. No other foundation can be laid other than Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in a different context, but you see, he's still the rock. He's still the foundation. Or are you just hoping? Whatever you're focused upon, whatever you're believing in, whatever you're depending upon, that 
that will be just as good as anything else. Well, it'll not be. Psalm 40 tells us about someone brought up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, feet set upon the rock. He's established my goings, put a new song in my mouth. I put his feet upon the rock. I just thought with regards to the wheat title over that as I move on to something else, accepting the teaching of the Lord Jesus or the preaching in our day of the gospel, responding to it, accepting it and being like that wise man and having a sound foundation. I want to come to the next one that we read about in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. You see, all these are to do with building. Whenever we come to Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, there's a wonderful experience taking place, and then a man says, Blessed is he that eateth bread in the kingdom of God. Not just where we're eating bread today, but blessed is he that eateth bread in the kingdom of God in that day. At least he knew there was such an experience on the horizon. And it just seems then, whenever the Lord had the opportunity of such a context that he brought out the wonderful parable of the Great Supper, and so many invited to it, Nobody holding them back. Everybody could respond. Everybody could come. Everybody could be blessed. But ours, some others just didn't see that this experience spiritually coming their way for, was for their spiritual and eternal benefit and blessing. Not all right ideas. And they shunned it. Or the things that were more important in their lives. But however, there were those that just came forward as it were, it sounds good, I want to respond and I want to have that experience that's being unfolded in the teaching and preaching of Christ. But there's a cost and that's why I'm using this word now, not accepting the message but assessing the teaching. The teaching of what? The teaching of becoming a disciple of Christ. You see, it's not just a matter of response, positive response, and receiving the Savior and being blessed with God's so great salvation. But the Lord Jesus seems to be teaching here the cost of discipleship, not just for people to rush in and make a profession without educating themselves in relation to the cost. And so we have, for instance, a man putting the Lord Jesus Christ first. A woman, doesn't matter, boy or girl. Family relationships, that's there in that chapter. They're quite good, but the Lord Jesus said, I have to be priority number one. And so there's a challenge. And then there's a challenge for the individual to 
disown their own ambitions. They may be all right to pursue. Nobody's rejecting them. But at the same time, me first, the Lord Jesus Christ first in my life. So he's teaching that if you walk out and if you want to be saved and if you want to experience salvation, as God is bringing you into a discipleship relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew's Gospel, the very last chapter, chapter 28, says, Go you into all the world and make disciples of every creature, followers of Christ. But there is a cost. And so we have in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, assessing the cost. What was the assessing the result of? The teaching of the man. That's building the tower. He's building the tower. He's doing quite well, you know, and the neighborhood is looking on. Oh, this will turn out fine. You see, this is the natural with the spiritual again. And so the tower has been built. The foundations are in, and there's a couple of blocks already up. But then they've passed by a few weeks, a few months. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. It hasn't went up anymore. And then the people say, well, there's a person that started to build a tower and couldn't finish it. And it's just lying there. Nothing been done about it. And it's an eyesore. The point about it is that's the teaching of the Lord Jesus in relation to a man building a tower. He needs to assess. He needs to understand, well, I'm going to build this tower, but I must finish it. I must complete it. And you know, being a Christian is like that in relation to finishing. Finishing what you've commenced. Commencing with a relationship with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Taking him as your Savior. After all, he died upon the cross. A terrible death to procure, purchase, pay for, provide. A wonderful eternal salvation that's offered to you tonight and offered to anyone else tonight. There's no restrictions on the gospel or God's so great salvation. Whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the Lord, and I think it's a great thing, the Lord Jesus is approaching the people. They like what they hear, but he just wants them to consider what they're going to enter into in that relationship with God. That profession that they would make, that confession of the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. Because whenever Paul the Apostle himself, later on, as he became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says to Timothy, endure hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He said himself, I endure all things for the elect's sake. So there are things to endure as a Christian. And could I say tonight in the little gospel meeting to Christians as well as my own heart. You remember there was that comment made, written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy that in the last days perilous times shall come, hard times shall be faced. By who? By the Christian. Look at the changes that we're seeing all around us today without explaining (coughs) and exploring the context of it all publicly. 
Sometimes you can say a thing publicly and be taken up for it. You don't know who's sitting in any hole anywhere at any time. And legislations, governmental ways and other ways, could make you a criminal for sticking to the Bible. So we'll just keep to what we're meditating and considering tonight from the Bible. But discipleship, assessing the cost, don't make a man with a tar just going so far with it and then being a laughingstock. Being a Christian, my dear friend, if you're not a saved person tonight in the meeting, is a great thing. And it's the only thing that really matters. And I would encourage you to respond to the message of the gospel tonight and respond to the drawing power of God and respond to the invitation of Christ to come and believe this very hour and trust in the Savior's wonderful grace and power. But remember before you do it, there's great things expected from you by God in relation to it. And that is, my old companions, fare thee well. I will not go with thee to hell. I mean, with Jesus Christ to dwell, I will go. And to be a faithful follower of him. Anywhere he leads me, we sing, I will go. Oh, see, singing it. Anywhere he leads me, I will go. So we've looked at the man building his house upon the rock, accepting the teaching of Christ. He that heareth my sayings and doeth and putting them into practice is likened unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. Then in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, whenever we have the invitation to come to the Great Supper and those people who rejected it but some were receptive of it and then the Lord Jesus steps in before they take too many steps and explains to him that there's a cost to discipleship of being identified with him and of being a disciple, one that's taught of him, one that follows him, assessing the cost. You remember in Acts of the Apostles chapter 4, now you'll notice that in all that I've said up to now is all to do with building, all to do with building, building a tower, building my house upon a rock. Whenever we come to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, there's a man, an impotent man, and he's healed. And this is a remarkable thing, and only God could bring it about. The Apostle Paul, in his preaching and teaching, is explaining how it was brought about. And he's bringing to bear upon the minds of the people, the nation, the generation then that were responsible for rejecting Christ and putting him upon the cross. That's what verse 11 says. This is the stone that was set aside by you builders. Oh, they're building, but building without Christ. Building without the foundation. Set it not by you builders. Terrible thing to be building in this world without Christ. It's a terrible thing to live in this world without Christ. It's a terrible thing to die in this world without Christ. They rejected him. This is a stone which is set 
at not by you builders. Building, but they had in the stone, the chief cornerstone in their building, Christ. They rejected him. They pushed him to the one side. They crucified him. They put him on a cross. Now they're getting a chance to see where they've erred and where they've went wrong. Neither is there salvation in any other. Why reject someone whenever they're, they're the only person that you can find salvation in? For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's why there can be no mistakes by good sound gospel preaching and all over this world, no matter what language it might be in, no matter what hall the meeting might be convened in. We preach Christ crucified. We don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. We point you to him. John the Baptist at the beginning of his ministry and before the Lord Jesus began his, behold the Lamb of God. Pointing people to Christ, which beareth away the sin of the world. Peter, later on in Cornelius, says, How to him give all the prophets witness, that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. They were pointing, Peter was pointing, as he was doing here in chapter 4, people to Christ. We're doing the same in Scotch Street, in Porty Down tonight. We're pointing you to Christ. There's nobody else can save you. There's nobody else can keep you. There's nobody else can bless you. There's nobody else can land you in the glory, only Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other. Aye, this is the stone which is set at not by you builders, which has become the head of the corner. No matter about your rejection, he's still the head of the corner, the chief cornerstone, the rock on which everything is built. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter was there again, the next, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. And they said this and that and the other, without going into it because of time. But whom sayest thou that I, the Son of Man, am? Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are thou, Simon Berjona, for flesh and blood hath not thus revealed this unto thee, but my Father is in heaven, and I will build my church. The gates of Hades shall never prevail against it. So even on the confession of Peter about the Lord Jesus, who he was, his person and everything else, that's what I want to hear, and I'm just adding that. The Lord Jesus is wanting to hear that. He heard it from Peter. And I will build my church. As people, the church now is not a place with a steeple or stained glass windows. And that's not a critical comment because that's not my personality. I don't pass comment upon any other place or any other people. But I'm only making the distinction. The church that the Lord Jesus is speaking about is people that are recipients of the grace of God and salvation born again of the Spirit of God, those who have repented of their sins, those who have made a choice for Christ, those who follow Christ and follow no one else and believe nothing else, only in Him as the only Savior of sinners, able and mighty and willing to save. Sadly, the nation didn't do it. 
the sediment not. Friend, don't set the Lord Jesus Christ at naught aside in your experiences of life. You'll miss everything. He's the basis of all. All the blessings that God would bestow upon you. And I would love to come to them tonight, but it's not really my exercise. So, there's three aspects of building, keeping an eye on the time, accepting the teaching, building my house upon a rock, being a wise person, Christ for me, the hope of glory, Christ in me, the hope of glory, and then assessing the cost of discipleship, whether I can really, according to my profession of faith in Christ, go on, never swiver, never waver, but go on to be a follower of him and stand in a dark day for this blessed man of Calvary, this Lord of glory, who has won my heart from me, died to set me free, blessed man of Calvary. But this is the point. Accepting the teaching, assessing the cost of discipleship. But here's the answer. Here's the answer to man's spiritual need. Salvation found alone in Christ, by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ. Friend, are you convinced about that tonight? We would like you to be so. Peter's clear. Look wherever you like. You know, I'm not worried. I'm keeping to the time. I'll not disturb you too much. I was thinking just not to do with the meeting tonight, but I was thinking this morning in my own wee thoughts and meditations, just personally, you know, of the Hebrew apostle. Just two wee things, but they're complement each other. You know, after the writer says, this man, the Lord Jesus, it's always this man, isn't it? It's always the person of Christ. Nobody else. This man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down to the right hand of God. But then we go on in the Hebrew epistle, and it says, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a fearful looking for of judgment and fire indignation which shall devour the adversary. In other words, if you do not appreciate and appropriate the sacrifice of Christ, that's the Hebrew teaching now that I'm going to, and see the sufficiency of that offering upon the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ to meet your need. If you don't see the supremacy of that sacrifice acceptable to God, and it should be acceptable to you. Well, don't look any, to any other sacrifices. There is none. There is none. And you see where I'm coming from. You don't look anywhere else. You don't look to anything else. You don't look to anyone else. It's Christ. It's all based upon him. Accepting the teaching. Assessing the cost of discipleship in your building. He's the answer to my spiritual and eternal need. Others didn't see it in this. They were building and they rejected the stone, the chief cornerstone, the person of Christ. Therefore, they were missing the blessing. I want to use another word here in another little story. Being aware. Being aware. Another man is doing a wee bit of building here as well in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. 
That parable that was given by the Lord Jesus Christ was the answer to two brothers that were having a difficulty with each other. Speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me, and a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he has. They're only temporal. I know you have to resolve problems. No harm in doing that. But think about the bigger picture. That's only a small focus. Think about the bigger picture. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying. And to help the two brothers and to help us for us in the Word of God, for us to read and to try and to understand. He spoke about the, the rich farmer. The rich farmer. God had blessed him well, you know, all, all down his life. But he was expanding and he was explaining what he would do in the time that is yet to come. He was enlarging his borders. Oh, he looked out of the window and he saw things is doing well this year. I'm going to have a great harvest, but where am I going to put it? Where am I going to put it? And he says, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll just I'll pull down them barns. They're up a long time anyway. They did, they did well. But they're not sufficient. I want something bigger and stronger. I'm going to do big things here in my life. And then he says, I'll build greater. See, we're back to the building, aren't we? He, he says, I'll build greater. And then he says, I'll say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods led up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. I used the word aware. He wasn't aware that God was in control of his life. He says many years. Many years. God says I'm going to alter that. It'll not even be many days. This night. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Thy life. You're going to expire. You're going to leave. You're going to be no longer here. Aye, but I'll build greater. So there's a man, and he thought that he would build greater. Friend, if I could just get this wee lesson over to myself, over to every one of us, no harm in building now. I'm not hitting any farmer that has plans to expand. That's not the thought here. But here's a man, and it's only time that he's focusing upon. He wasn't thinking about the eternal. Many years. It's always good to remember Proverbs 27 and 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what the day may bring forth. I attended a funeral of a man yesterday that I knew very, very well a long, long number of years. His wife and two daughters, in fact, his late father-in-law, John McElroy, was a trainer in Cookstown Boxing Club, and I was in it. I was a younger man, and a few fights, and so on. So I can go back with that family a good wee while. But Jim was a man that loved pigeons, and he won wonderful cups and monetary prizes over the years in relation to the pigeons that he reared. And everybody knew it. But he just went up 
The pigeon raft was allowed to be built on a bit of ground behind Third Cookstown Presbyterian Church, for he's a member of it. And they had the bit of ground, and he must have asked them to put a new pigeon club over it, and he did. And he was found, I think, on Thursday, lying outside the door of it, gone. Well, according to the evangelical minister at the funeral yesterday now, it didn't, that experience didn't trip him up. He seemingly was ready to meet his God. But that just goes to show you, friend, it doesn't matter whether you're a believer or a non-believer. There's none of us have any great hold in life. And the parable is teaching us here, make sure you put God first. James takes the, the, the subject off, up in relation to how we should live even as believers. And he, he uses people saying, I'll do this and do that and do that. Paul says, if God wills it. That's the point. If it's allowed by the will of God, even for believers. So are we aware God's in control, not us. Even doctors today, and they're doing a mighty job. I noticed, I'm not sure that you've noticed, but I just, I'm not worried about the points. Just finish whenever I'm finished. There was a doctor, and, and you know that septus, I know we're talking about seven or 800 people that have died with this virus uh, in China and wherever else. And, and it's sad, I, I think of the people every day like yourself, I'm sure. But you know, seemingly in America in 2019, there was 32,000 people died in 2019 last year. In America, 32,000 with the flu. Common flu. Never mentioned. And I want to say to this to you, friend, that one of the, and I was on the danger list myself in 2015, taken in an ambulance and a couple of times since. Blood disorder. Twelve doctors I saw. Septus. In Great Britain in 2019, there was thousands died with it. Thousands. This surgeon had done for there's amputations needed in most of these cases, you see. And this man, a decent man, doing his hard work in relation to being a surgeon. And believe it or not, he took septus himself. He lost two legs. And I want to tell you this. You know what he's doing today? With the two mixed shift legs that they put on you now, he's back doing surgery and helping other people with septus. Wonderful, wonderful. So many things crossing our path today, even as a believer. You wouldn't be sure when you put your shoes and tie your laces on the morning who's going to untie them at night. Oh, my friend, if I could get that across to everyone, including myself tonight, in relation to being aware. He said many years, God said this night, God's in control. <coughs> he makes the decisions. And I think everybody should and would agree to that. I read, and this will likely do me, there's others, but I'm not going into it. I'll just make this do. 
still thinking about building, building. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2 and 22, is a, a very, very nice uh, expression. Now, this is Christian teaching, but it'll do no harm for the last five minutes here. The Ephesian epistle is a wonderful epistle. You remember I said about the Lord Jesus saying, I will build my church. This is a complete new thing. When the Lord Jesus taught Peter that, whenever he mentioned that to the rest of the disciples, they hadn't a clue what the Savior was teaching. It was just an expression that he was using. But then there was an unfolding to the mind, and they started to grab pieces. And now we have epistles like the Ephesian epistle to give further illumination, further understanding to things spiritual and eternal. Well, what is it then? Well, I'm going to close with it. Whenever the gospel was preached, there were people that were Jews, and there were people that are Gentiles. I don't think that there's any Jews here tonight. If you are, glad to see you. But the most of us are Gentiles. That is, we're not Jews. We don't belong to that nation. But the gospel message is not just for Jews. The gospel message is for Gentiles. The gospel message is for everyone. The gospel message is for you. And when it was preached, and when there was a response to it, and people got saved, they were Jew and they were Gentiles. Now, before that, they didn't see eye to eye with each other, Jews and Gentiles. The Jews kept themselves separate over in a wee corner of their own. And then the Gentiles couldn't get anywhere near them. But we know when it comes to the experience of salvation, that all goes. They're all one. There's no distinctions. And in the Ephesian epistle, there's the middle wall of partition broken down. That which divided us at the cross uh, by the sufferings of Christ and by the sacrifice that he offered to deal with sin and to meet man's need and to lay a righteous basis for God to show mercy and grace to that individual. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew, doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, if you respond to the message, you're saved by grace. You're brought into a relationship with God and you're part of this building, the church which is Christ's body. And so the Ephesian Epistle, it's not the local church, as we have it in Corinthians. This is the bigger picture. This is every believer worldwide, no matter where they hang their hat on a Sunday. If they're born again and saved by the grace of God, they're part of this church which is Christ's body. And so they both have been reconciled to God. What does that mean? It means that they were still sinners, the Jews they were still sinners as Gentiles, and they were at enmity with God, as well as being at enmity with themselves. So they sort out the problem by being at enmity with God. And reconciliation means that there's two opposing people, persons, not seeing eye to eye with each other, and there's a basis led whereby that reconciliation could take place. The enmity's gone. It's no more there. We're good friends. There's a relationship established. That can even happen in relation to two sisters. Maybe not seeing eye to eye with each other over something. Two brothers. Not seeing eye to eye with over something. Sometimes you can just can get common ground and say, if you're wise enough, and just say, well, look, life's too short. You know, let's forget about that. Let's go on. 
hugging each other, loving each other. Remove the enmity. Get the relationship again established and go on and go on and smile and enjoy each other's company. Well, it's just the same in relation to the spiritual experiences with God, having to with God. But the problem there was not a fallout. The problem was sin. God's holy, Jews and Gentiles unholy, sinners. But how are we going to have this relationship established? How is the enmity going to be removed? How are we going to be reconciled with God? And enjoy him now and enjoy him forever. Well, it's the cross. The sacrifice of Christ. That pleases God. Well, then it should please you. And if it pleases God and it does, God on the grounds of the sacrifice offered by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you repent of your sins and receive my Savior who died and was buried and who rose again, I will remove the enmity. I will pardon you for your sins. I will bring you into a relationship with myself. So that's what happened. Then they came as a little local company at Ephesus. But they found out that there was a bigger picture. The church which is Christ's body. And now, not only are we, Jew and Gentile, this is what they're saying, reconciled to God and in an eternal relationship that can never be changed with him, the Almighty, in the glory. But you know the enmity has gone between the Jew and the Gentile as well. We're believers now. We've come and grown. It's a level playing field. No distinctions, no differences. Even in relation to rich and poor now, that doesn't come into it. Doesn't matter whether that surgeon that I mentioned or not came into the assembly here in Scott Street. He's no different from the ordinary man that's maybe emptying the bins. They're just sinners saved by grace. Distinctions never come into it. But here in the Ephesian epistle, that's what we have. I want you to notice this closing immediately. It says we read it. It says there in Ephesians, Gentiles reconciled to God and to each other, builded. There you see we are at the building again. Together, Jew and Gentiles, for our inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Every believer in our Lord Jesus Christ worldwide that's still alive and breathing tonight, they're part of what I have read there tonight from Ephesians 2 and 22. Builded together in a spiritual building, Jew and Gentiles, a habitation from God, for God, God to dwell amongst those people through the Spirit. I'll tell you, we've looked at a few buildings tonight. This is the most important. I don't care what building you're ever in, should it be the Vatican in Rome or whether it's Buckingham Palace over in London. I'm sure they've all their lovely arts and everything else to portray to the public and to astound them and to amaze them. I wouldn't say anything bad about any of them, but I want to say this. I would rather be in this building, build it together, an habitation of God in the spiritual domain through the Spirit dwelling in that building as the Spirit of God indwells the individual in the building. Remember 1 Corinthians 3, it's in the assembly, and 1 Corinthians 6, it's maybe the other way around, it's the individual. So you have God's Holy Spirit in the individual, in 1 Corinthians, 
indwelling the assembly in 1 Corinthians, and now in the Ephesian epistle in chapter 2, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in every believer in this lovely building, the church which is Christ's body. I'll tell you, build it together. Friend, are you in that building tonight? Have you received Christ? Are you born again? Is he your Savior? Can you look back to a moment when you first trusted in him, the burden of your heart rolled away? If not, be like a wise man. Build your hopes for the eternal future upon the rock, upon Christ. For there's no salvation apart from him. And the minute you experience that salvation in Christ, you leave God to do the rest in relation to putting you into this building. Build it together. Ah, well, we'll leave it there. Building, building. Oh, there's plenty more, plenty more. But we'll just bring it to an end now. May God bless our meditations and considerations. Let us pray. Father, we remember in the Lord's name too when Paul the Apostle brought those elders of Ephesus to Miletus. He, he emphasized the importance as believers to consider as often as they could what scriptures were available then. For they were able, when read and applied to the Christian experience of life, build you up, build you up. So, Lord, even the believers can be built up in our most holy faith, strengthening us and giving sustenance to us, even as a result of our links with the Lord Jesus. So, there's many aspects of our consideration tonight from the Bible in respect of building. We hope and trust it has been helpful, teachable, acceptable, understandable. We trust that there'll be a response to it and faith in Christ bringing the greatest blessing of all, this experience of salvation. We part now and we trust we'll get home in safety. Bless those again that are not too well. Bless those that are in hospital tonight. Hospitals are full. Remember China tonight. Remember this virus. We remember the darkness of the day. Ah, oh, Lord, it's a dark, dark day. Perilous times we feel as believers have already come. Hard times. They could be explained as hard times. Aye, and I think, Lord, that they'll be getting that wee bit harder. But anyway, good to know the Savior. Whom to know is life eternal. What a wonderful person he is. The altogether lovely one fairest of 10,000 to many of our souls.